Hi everyone, welcome to episode number 17 of the High Frequency Podcast, and thanks to everyone who subscribed over the last month. Last month's episode with Miss B absolutely went off. The amount of downloads that we had on that episode is the highest that we've ever had, so I just want to thank Miss B once again for coming on, and everyone that's listened, and all the new subscribers and all the new listeners, I really appreciate it. It's an absolute honor to be even introducing Josh Butler to the High Frequency Podcast today, let alone having a full-on chat with him. I wanted to get Josh on the podcast as he's got some deep embedded roots within New Zealand and he lived here for a large part of his youth, so it only made sense to get him on the podcast. He's usually in New Zealand yearly now and he's the part owner and founder of the up-and-coming electronic music festival, This Kind of Day in Queenstown. He had some unexpected success back in 2013 with the track that you've probably all heard, Got a Feeling, and it led to him scooping multiple industry awards from Beatport to DJ Mag. Since then, he's been labelled as one of the UK's most premier house music talents by none other than Pete Tong himself, and consistently championed by the likes of Steve Lawler and Heidi. He's had releases on labels such as Knee Deep in Sound, CR2 Recordings, Hot Creations, and Defected, including some remixes for some huge names like Carl Cox, and collaborations with the legend himself, Kerry Chandler. It's safe to say that Josh is a staple worldwide name in the house music scene, and he's working away at trying to grow the New Zealand scene, much like myself. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the podcast for episode number 17, Josh Butler. Okay, so Josh Butler, welcome to the High Frequency Podcast. Thanks for being here. Cheers, mate. Good to be on. It's a um, bit of a fanboy moment, mate. Honestly, I can't believe I'm actually saying Josh Butler. Welcome to the High Frequency Podcast. It's mental. It's good to be on. I enjoy what you're doing with the promoting house music in New Zealand. And, you know, I'm all for the New Zealand scene. You know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm quite keen to dive into that. And and as everyone knows that listens to the podcast, you know, I've constantly kind of preached that this podcast is all about showcasing New Zealand-based and Australian-based artists. And you're the first artist that, that isn't New Zealand-based. But the reason why I wanted to get you on is because you do have roots here and you do have quite a heavy involvement in the New Zealand electronic music scene. So we'll dive into that at some point. But you've just built yourself a new studio. How's that gone? Well, building, it's still uh, it's still happening. Hence why I'm not in there at the moment. I'm just in the living room today. Otherwise, I would definitely be in there. But it's coming on. It's probably 80% done now. A lot of the hard work is out the way. Um, but it's on hold now. I actually go on tour in a couple of days. I'm going to South, North and South America for a few weeks. Oh, wicked. So the studio is on hold until I get back. <laughs> Although I'm itching, mate, I'm chomping at the bit to get it done yeah, now. I bet, I bet. <laughs> so why why build a new studio? What was up with the old one? Um, I actually haven't had a permanent studio f- for over a year now. Oh, okay. I had it set up in my living room for a while. Um, when the lockdown happened, I, I had a sick studio in town, but I was like, oh, probably not going to be able to travel there much. So I brought everything home set it up in the living room and then you know i had that for a year or so and i was like this can't be a permanent fixture (laughs) taking up half the house so i've converted the loft into a little space put a window in there and then yeah soundproofed it a bit 
and uh, yeah, it's just going to be a. I'm not expecting it to be like a super high soundproof room. It's never going to be that with a loft roof. But um, yeah, it's going to be a space just to jam me and just have all my machines linked up and just get creative in there. Yeah, wicked. What kind of soundproofing have you done in there? Considering it's, I mean, I, I kind of saw a picture of it on your Insta. Is it like got brick walls? Yeah, well, since built a stud wall, so now partition okay. wall, um, 100 mil rock wall in all the the cavities. And then next job is in um, acoustic um plasterboard yeah i mean you can go there's so many levels with soundproofing i was originally thinking of like decoupling the walls so you basically build a room within a room but then i'm like it's probably not worth it a lot of effort that as well yeah it's a lot of effort and a lot of expense actually that's what i mean man i mean i've 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 done a really poor job with my studio i've i've got uh in the corners of the rooms i've just got big uh rolls of uh mass loaded vinyl have you had some of that before yeah yeah looked into that stuff no i, I nearly bought that to, to lay on the floor actually you, you think that worked well my mate gave me this I, I didn't actually invest in it but it's pretty expensive stuff and he said you know he said it worked really well for his studio and to be honest this room's pretty reverby so anything that you put in here is going to make a difference and i've just loaded it up with like blankets and stuff like that you know so you still got it in the roll? Yeah, I, I probably need to do something with it, but I was just thinking of using it as like a really basic bass trap. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. But I think if you unrolled it and put it against the walls it, or on the floor, it would be a lot more beneficial that. Because I read a lot about all this stuff and mass loaded vinyl was mentioned loads. Okay. I'll give that a go. I'll see if see if I can be bothered. It looks like a complicated job, but... <laughs> this, this, this is it. It's like, how much of a job do you want to do with it? Because you can really go to town with soundproofing and sometimes it's not really worth it. You do obviously a lot of mixing and mastering though for people though. So do you find that you have to have a decent quality studio to be able to do that? Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be, um, it's going to be a certain level. Hmm. But I know because of the shape of the roof, it's never going to be, you know, high ceilings are, are more desirable for a proper studio. But yeah, this is going to do for the next couple of years. And then um, the ultimate goal is to get back to New Zealand, to be honest. So, Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to throw everything into this studio. It's just going to be a semi, semi-temporary space. Okay, well, let's dive into that because I'm quite keen to know a little bit more about that. So obviously, I mean, Josh, you, you really don't need an introduction to the podcast. I'm sure every single person that's listening to this knows exactly who you are, but might not know a lot about the history of how you got into everything and how you've got to where you are today. Because you, you're arguably one of the most consistent and successful producers that is being in our kind of niche of house music, deep house, whatever you want to call it for a long period of time you know you see artists come and go and they do a couple of eps then they drop off and they lose interest or they found find other hobbies but you've obviously done this as a career for a long period of time so give us a bit of an idea on how you started this whole thing and, and how it's kind of got you to where you are today it was never really intended to be like an international touring dj you know i knew i wanted to be involved with music somehow whether that was working for the bbc or um having my own business or like being a sound engineer for live events, whatever. I was always into dance music and I was producing tunes and stuff in my bedroom as a, as a hobby. As a kid, really, instead of playing PlayStation games, I was making beats on EJ 
and music 2000 <laughs> and then uh yeah so around that time when i was when i was playing around with ej and fruity loops at the time now fl studio um my mum and dad said we were moving to new zealand and um you know i was probably like 13 at this point and um when i got to new zealand we moved to kerry kerry which is a pretty quiet town in the, in the north no way <laughs> my um my partner is actually from kerry kerry oh no way yeah yeah she, her parents live up there at the moment so i know that place well how old is she uh she's just 10 30 i might know her. i probably went to school with her <laughs> oh you reckon <laughs> she got to high school. uh no I, th- I actually think she moved up there after high school she was in auckland for a while okay yeah so probably not maybe there. not but i'll ask her <laughs> <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> but yeah i went to kerry kerry high school anyway and um you know obviously at first you move there you don't know anyone so i spent a lot of time just making music after school and um got pretty good at it and then Obviously, there wasn't much of a scene in New Zealand. Uh, well, I was trying to make trying to make some friends and connections as best as I could. There was a lad in my school called Brendan, whose brother had an internet radio show in Auckland, and he played one of my tracks at one point. Even though his show was a drum and bass show, he played one of my trance tracks on it. <laughs> and uh, at that point, I thought I'd made it. I was like, right, fucking buzzing. This is that. That's it now. I knew there was something there. And so, um, yeah, probably got to like the age 17 and finished school. And, you know, mum and dad are like, what do you want to do after school? And I said, I really wanted to try and give the music thing a go. And it was never really going to happen in New Zealand. So I, I moved back to the UK and moved in with my granddad for, for a year or so. Oh, yeah. I started going to college at St. Helens. Um, and that was kind of like... That was the start of everything, really. I started meeting other people who were producing and um, Eddie Halliwell. I don't know if you know of Eddie Halliwell. We used to go to the same college. So the the tutors kind of knew a few people in the industry like Eddie. And one of the tutors at the time, he was also the engineer for Mr. Scruff. Oh, really? So, okay. yeah, all these little pieces started to come together, you know, and I was like, wow, it's actually, it's actually quite in reach to to have a career within music um it just went from there man and i ended up getting one of my tracks signed to a small record label when i was at college it was a small label you know nothing ever happened with the track but it was just a little stepping stone towards um towards something were you producing House music back then, though. Oh, you because pre- yeah, okay, okay. Uh, it was a little bit, yeah. I mean, it was it was more trance, yeah, but it was there was bits of house. Um, and as I was doing all this, it was still just a hobby, you know. It wasn't like okay, I'm going to be a DJ, and I didn't think I was going to make a job of of that side of it. Um, I always thought there'd be a more traditional job at the end of the education, but I think the the, the timing of uh, house music exploding worked really well for me, you know, because, well, I'll I'll just backtrack a bit. So after uni, sorry, after college, I went to uni in Leeds. And again, just kept meeting more people in the industry and the music scene. I started DJing out a lot more, playing in clubs. And things are just snowballing from there. Got got a track signed to a bigger label. 
where were you playing in Le- did you play at mission in leeds i did but not until a bit later my my usual gigs were like stinky's peep house oh yeah stinky's um, is gone now isn't it yeah, I think it's a car park now. I believe it. I used to spend all my Sundays in there. <laughs> yeah, what a place! It was a messy little club. That. Yeah, yeah. And Back to Basics originated. Was did Back to Basics originate there? It did. Yeah. So I was going to a few of those basic nights. Yeah. Um, was going to like Tiny Tracks nights as well. I used to love a bit of Hard House. Okay. Um, Mint Club was always a, a, a regular. Yeah. So I got to play at Mint Club. Well, that's kind of when I knew things were starting to like take off with the DJ and for me because I was getting booked at Mint Club, mm. which is used to which is where I just used to go and party. Yeah. So when I was playing there, I was like, "Yes, mate, I'm fucking made it. Actually, doing <laughs> something with it now. Yeah, made it." <laughs> um. Yeah, things just sort of snowballed from there, and then I was sending demos out because always made music. Producing's been the main thing for me, not the DJing. Hmm. Um, and I sent a track out to Chase and Status's label, MTA. It was called. Okay. It's not running anymore, but um. Yeah, they, they actually called me. I was driving up Kirkstall Hill back from Morrison's one day. I got a call, an unknown number, and uh, he said it was Will from Chase and Status. And I, at first I was a bit like, oh, whatever. It's just one of my mates winding me up. <laughs> and he was like, no, we really like the track that you've sent. And uh, we want to invite you down to London to come to the studio and come and meet everybody in the office and that. Because they had a proper setup with the label. You know, they had a big office in in London, near the London Eye. They had studios underground. And um, there used to be Pete Waterman's offices, actually. I don't know if you know Pete Waterman and the Hit Factory. Why do I know that name? What was he doing? Because he, he signed loads of big pop uh, acts in the in the 80s and 90s. Okay. Um, yeah, from like Rick Astley to... Okay. Fucking, can't remember. I might have to give it a quick Google, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool, though, that they just called you up and randomly said, oh, yeah, come down to London. That's epic. I know, because I was just firing these these CDs out to everyone and everybody, really. Was that, like, the first couple of demos that you sent out, then? No, I'd sent a lot out. Okay. They were just the only one to get back to me, really. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God it was, it was you know, it couldn't have been a better a better label to get back to me because they yeah. really did put so much into that track. And I mean, that track was got a feeling for the people that know it. it ended up being a massive hit in 2013. I can't find a list of Pete Waterman's um, records, but yeah, he had, a, he had a company called The Hit Factory. And no joke, when I went in, there was gold and platinum discs all over the wall. It was fascinating. I bet that was a pretty surreal experience walking into a place like that and you know, just being called by these people who you never thought you'd hear from. Yeah, I mean, that was my first real taste of the music business and seeing how it works. People at offices or people in an office at the computer doing things and talking about music. It was amazing. I was like, that's kind of where I saw myself working in a, in a, a label like that, actually. But it turned out I ended up getting signed as a producer. And yeah, like I said, that track went on to do some really big things. And that was kind of the springboard for my whole career. The, the, the stuff that, that came before it, the track on off recordings and all the stuff around Leeds definitely was a foundation. But yeah, I think that track took me to an international audience, you know, and then I started getting, I got a booking agent off the back of that. 
I was getting booked in like Belgium and Holland and all around Europe, man. Luxembourg, just random little places that I never thought I'd go to. Started getting booked to go and DJ there. That's mental. It's just kind of like, I guess it can all happen so fast for someone if they just have one track that actually does really, really well. I've seen that happen to a few different artists before, you know, some, some artists can slug along and try and try and keep it as underground as possible and constant release on vinyl and, and make sure it's only 300 copies. And, and then there's other artists that just, you know, want to get their music out there, which I kind of, um, I respect a little bit more because they're kind of just wanting to make sure that they actually get a career out of it. So were you, were you working a job at that time as well? Or was that, oh, did it just turn full time kind of overnight? I think I just left uni at that. I left uni the same year. And so I was working part time. I had a few different part time jobs around those few years. But yeah, so I was working part time. And then the other, the other part time work was like teaching Ableton and um, engineering for people. I was doing a lot of that actually, like people who were interested in music but couldn't produce, they'd come to mine and they'd pay me for the day. And uh, I'd basically make them a track. You know, they'd bring a couple of samples and they'd give me direction and we'd sit together all day and and build a record. So that was kind of like, that was that was paying the bills, to be honest, until I started DJing a bit more and, you know, quit the part-time job and then stopped taking engineering bookings. I just got too busy doing my own thing. But yeah, I think the the big the going back to like having a big record that was definitely the case then. I don't know if it is now, because you got to remember social media wasn't really around when I was doing it. Your Facebook was there, a kind of, but it wasn't as important. You didn't have to post every day or like update your breakfast, and you know there was none of that. So I think it was a bit more organic, you know, and it, there was a lot more radio stuff happening actually. Remember, remember getting an interview on Radio One, and so that there was a lot more listeners on national radio at that time, and people didn't have their own platform. It was more about interviews and things like Mix Mag and uh, traditional press. Where now I think you can do it through your own platform. You can, you know, if you, it's all about being a social media wizard now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't cope too well with it, to be honest, man. I mean, it. How old are you at the moment, if you don't mind me asking? 33. Okay, so I'm 36 this year. So I I, I just don't do this social media thing well, man. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I didn't grow up around it or whatever. I don't know. But And, and like you say, you know, when um, we were going out in, what, 2008, 2007, 2009, whatever, and partying, you know, no one really took the phones out. It wasn't really a it wasn't really a thing, you know, so I wasn't really consumed by it back then. And I guess I've just kind of always tried to keep the music thing separate from social media, but you just can't these days. How do you cope with that? Um, it's a it's an ongoing battle, to be honest. Because um, like I said, you have to find content as well as making music and, you know, all the rest of the stuff, networking and what have you. Um, yeah, content is king, as they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you find, though, that if you release a good... EP, for example. I mean, you've obviously got a record label, which I want to talk about in a bit as well, but do you find that if you release a good EP, that that'll carry you on social media for a little while without having to post things like your breakfast, for example? Well, this is it. This is what I try and stay in that old mindset, in my original mindset of when I, when I started breaking through. 
I try not to, to worry too much about social media and posting too much and just let the music speak for itself. If people like it, then mint that. If not, then whatever. I've enjoyed making it. <laughs> that was always how it was. So yeah, yeah. I can't really get too hung up on it, you know. But very, very grateful to have made it this far in such a competitive industry. So um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to try and keep up with the Joneses and post five times a day on Instagram. I've got, got other things to do. <laughs> it's interesting though now, because I mean, you'll know as well as I do that um, there is, there's such a plethora of production content and tutorials online these days. Oh, so much. It's crazy, man. And, and I think, I think it makes it so accessible for the youngsters that are very, are very good with social media that they can, take off very very quickly if they want to put time and effort into it which is great but also the competition's high yeah there's a lot higher now now you can just open up your instagram feed and learn how to make a track i asked chat gpt the other day how to make a track and it told me step by step no way <laughs> i actually said a donk track uh, for those that know like you know <laughs> kind of scouse house tr- type track and it, 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 it even told me how to make the donk sound mate no <laughs> it's that's insane man you can't even comprehend it can you i haven't tried Ch- chubby gbt i'm kind of scared of it um <laughs> i don't need it much but i was intrigued yeah i thought how, yeah how much does it really know but yeah it knows everything there was um what was gonna there, i was just looking on my spotify um for some of the some of my favorite tracks by you would you and and I remember when Call You Back came out? Would you say that's one of your most successful tracks? Because you heard it, I heard it everywhere, man. Yeah, without a doubt. And everyone was remixing it, and everyone was doing edits of it and stuff. And I was just like, "Holy moly, this track's everywhere!" Yeah, that was uh, it was the track of the summer for that year. I think it was two thousand sixteen. And uh, God, it was it was everywhere. That was another big moment in my career. Really, I'm very grateful that it took off because it was just a b-side record as well was it okay yeah mental you just never know what track's gonna you know gonna connect with people yeah yeah i mean my my favorite track by you is link weirdly enough oh nice one i just think it's such a it's like it's one of those tracks that it's nothing there's nothing complicated about it it's just got a really good groove it's deep it's it's a real night starter and starting, I guess, yeah yeah i love it man it's great i've always loved that track well a lot of the stuff i do on rejected is like that actually it's a bit more experimental and uh, a, a little bit more in the electronica side of what i do there's actually um one of the ones i did on rejected was based around let me get this right so it was there was it was 2020 and me and my brother went back to New Zealand and um, we went for a walk one morning. My brother was still a bit jet lagged because he arrived a few few weeks later than me, so we got up at the crack of dawn and we went down to the beach, um, like near Browns Bay, Long Bay type area in Auckland, and it was deserted, mate. For all morning, we walked for miles. We walked down there to Takapuna from Browns Bay. And um, even at 10 o'clock, it was deserted. And then uh, there was one woman that came down onto the beach with a dog and she was like, you two need to get off the beach and up to high ground because there's a tsunami coming. <laughs> like, what the fuck? 
Um, so we, we got quite lucky that morning, but it, the, the story is I ended up making a track um, based around that. And, you know, I went back that afternoon and got on Ableton and just jammed out and that ended up getting signed to Rejected. Hmm. Um, so a lot of the tracks I do on that are a little bit deeper, more experimental and usually got a little story behind them. But Origins is your main label, right? Or- Origins is one I own, yeah. All oh, right. So you so Rejected isn't yours? Rejected is Yoris Fawn's label. Ah, okay. Okay. Sorry, I might have misunderstood that. Um, I thought Rejected was yours when you were talking about it because I, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard of that label before, weirdly enough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a pretty underground label, really, but it's been around for a long time. Um, but yeah, Yoris lets me experiment a bit more. So, so on that EP anyway, that one I was talking about, there's one called Tsunami and there's one called Shipwrecked, which, you know, is, uh, yeah. is around that festival in New Zealand. Cause I went to that around the same week, same couple of weeks and very inspired by all the music there. Yeah. Do you know Logan who runs the, runs the ship? Yeah. I, I speak to him online sometimes. Never met him though. Hmm. Yeah, we've we've had a little conversation on on Facebook and that. Yeah, he's a good man. He's he runs a pretty cool venue out in Onihunga, the Silent Studios place. Something warehouse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's si- or Silent Studios, yeah, is it? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's got the only Function One sound system in New Zealand. Wow, nice one. But yeah, he's he's coming on the podcast next week, hopefully as well. So I'm going to try and get him on because it's been a, it's been a long time coming. I've been chatting to him about it for about a year, <laughs> but he's a busy man. So <laughs> um, go and see Silent Studios next time I'm over. Yeah, man, you should. So um, let's let's get into the New Zealand stuff because obviously I you know I bet a lot of the listeners are probably thinking so far. Okay, we you know how has Josh got roots in New Zealand? So you've obviously got a bit of a tie with the electric rush brand. Um, we obviously had, uh, Gwillem, although I always pronounce his word, his name incorrectly. So I'm just going to say Gwillem. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I just always forget how to pronounce it. Um, G. G, <laughs> that's that's it. Yeah, it's easy enough. <laughs> um, and he was on the podcast a couple of months ago and we were, he was talking a bit about the festival and how you're involved with that. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about like how you're involved in the New Zealand scene and, and how that all came about. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, as I said, I went to school there. I did all of my high school years over in, in Kerry Kerry, which I loved, you know, and um, then Kate, as I said, I explained, came back to England and my career started to take shape. And my dad was still in New Zealand. He's, he's been there ever since we moved originally. Um, so me and my family are all permanent residents have been since we were kids and um, but I didn't go back for many years actually um, and then G actually booked me for Electric Rush I think it was the second ever Electric Rush he booked Ben Pierce for the first one and then he, he booked me I think I think it was either the second or third anyway Um and I was blown away. I was like, wow, it's come full circle here. You know, this is kind of where I honed my craft in New Zealand. And now I'm getting booked to fly across the world and go <laughs> play there again. Um, but I've never been to Queenstown, though. Obviously, I grew up in the north. And then, um, yeah, me and G just hit it off, mate. We've just been friends ever since we speak every other day. And I've done for nearly 10 years now. Awesome. <laughs> and, uh He's booked me every year. So 
um, yeah, just started spending a lot more time in New Zealand and, you know, so I'll obviously play for G and then I'll go up to, to Auckland and spend a week or two with my dad. Um, and you know, that, that was it for a few years. And then when 2020 happened with COVID, um, I spent the first like few months at home on my own locked down. And then when the second lockdown happened, I was like, no chance. Cause New Zealand was still open at this point. So I was like, no way I'm being home alone again for fucking God knows how long. <clears throat> so I, fl- I took a one way flight to New Zealand and live with my dad for a bit. And me and G started bouncing loads of ideas around for, you know, expanding electric rush and the house scene in general in New Zealand, really, and how we can contribute more to to growing this sound on that side of the world. So um, that's kind of where the festival idea was born. It's been pretty successful so far, the festival. Yeah, Yeah, we did the first one last year and pretty happy with it, man. You know, it's... It's a slow burner, I think, but for the first year, it was really good, man. It was a good vibe. We had Heidi over, we had Dorley. And not only did we do the festival, we did a conference as well, music conference, which was more around education. And we had about 30 people in a conference room at the QT Hotel. And um, Dorley, who's an official pioneer sponsor, he did a sick demonstration on that sampler, a pioneer sampler. So there was little workshops like that. You know, I did something about um, Ableton and jamming ideas quickly with Ableton. Um, um, Frank Booker was there as well. He did some Ableton stuff about mixing. Um, so yeah, just generally the whole weekend of that festival is geared around electronic music. We tr- we try and take over Queenstown for the weekend and yeah, just pr- promote dance music. <laughs> it's so good, man. I mean, <clears throat> you'll know as well as I do that New Zealand really needs that. I mean, when when I came over here for a couple of years in 2010 and 11, I had a few residencies at clubs in Wellington and that the scene was better. Well, I'd say better loosely. It wasn't better. It's just we had a longer, at that point, we had a 6 a.m. closing time, right? So obviously longer opening hours, more clubs make more money at that point. And when this whole 4 a.m. license um, to trade came in, a lot of the clubs closed down. And you see Wellington now, man, we don't have any. There's none at all. I was speaking to somebody about this the other day, actually. Since 121 closed, there's nothing there now, is there? Nah, man. I mean, I used to host... Not for our music. Well, I used to host the High Frequency Nights at a place called Laundry, if you ever went there. I didn't, actually. No. I mean, that place closed down as a result of something nothing to do with, with the pandemic. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a shame. I mean, I recently did um, a High Frequency Night in Auckland. First one at Ink Bar, where you've played a couple of times. It's such a special little vibe in there, isn't it? It's one of my favourites, mate. One of my favourites in the world. Because it's so intimate. It feels like you're in your, your own living room. Exactly. And I bet you don't play small gigs like that over in the UK anymore. No, actually. And, you know, because the DJ booth is at the end of the bar as well. Yeah. Just getting handed tequila shots every 10 minutes. It's, <laughs> it's always a messy night. That. I, I love it. Do you miss those small gigs, Josh? Because obviously, you know, since you rise over in, in Europe and, and the UK, obviously I'm sure you don't really play many smaller smaller intimate gigs like that anymore 
Sometimes, yes. Sometimes I do still play them. Um, trying to think of the last one. I actually can't can't think of the last time I played somewhere like Ink Bar. <clears throat> but there's a few over the years that come to mind. You know, I played my fair share of like basements or <clears throat> quite a common one was basements of restaurants. Oh, yeah. So there's been a few like steak restaurants with a basement underneath. They turn into a nightclub. Epic. They were cool. Yeah. Done a few of them over the years, or even um, where the restaurant itself closes and then they turn that into a club. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot of that. <clears throat> but yeah, it's been a while since I've done them. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I do miss it, yeah. It's always, always a good intimate vibe. Mm. But that's why I always go back to Ink Bar as well. Yeah, and same is. with Raglan, man. Like, the Yacht Club and Raglan, similar, similar vibe. Well, it's the same owner, isn't it? Andy owns both the yeah. same places. So um, I've not been to the Yacht Club, actually, but I've heard some good things about it. So, yeah. Um, do you, what are your thoughts on, I know this is a really broad question, but what are your thoughts on the New Zealand scene at the moment? Because you came over last year, eh? Yeah. Do you reckon it's grown? Um, I think it's it's been in a tough spot, actually. Mm since covid and i think a lot of the world scene is to be honest i think into the club scene anyway festival scenes are booming especially in europe um but yeah a lot of the clubs are closing down like i heard um it's the same story as one two one you know i mean they close the club start a festival i heard there's a um, the promotion company in ireland they used to have a nightclub um called district eight don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. It's a prestigious nightclub, but they've closed that now and it's just a festival. So I think this, the way the scene is across the world, <clears throat> people tend to go out big once or twice a year or maybe, you know, maybe a bit more than that. But it's not like when we were going to Sankey's, it would be every week, you know, maybe twice a week sometimes we go to Sankey's Friday and Saturday night. Um, Missed that place. the weekly club scene isn't and same with basics that was what basics was built on which yeah. is for those that don't know back to basics is the most long-standing club night in the uk literally the oldest club weekly club night in the uk but that doesn't really exist anymore just generally i think is more geared around big one-off events or you know even whereas project is sits somewhere in between the club scene and the festival scene, doesn't it? Because it's a seasonal yeah, event, seasonal thing. Yeah, it's September it's to December. It's a big venue, but it's not a week, it's not week in week out all year. Do you remember what it was under the Piccadilly train station? That was the first yeah. venue, wasn't it? <laughs> well, that's what I love about that as well, actually, because you, you move around venues, you know, and that's kind of what G does with Electric Rush, isn't it? He doesn't stick yeah. to the same venue. But yeah, in terms of the, the scene, anyway, I think it's it's been difficult because people don't buy tickets anymore either. So in in terms of a promoter, it's a huge risk taking on an, an event, especially in New Zealand with an international DJs. And it's not cheap to bring people over there. <clears throat> and if you don't know how many people are coming through the door until the night, it can be quite a daunting feeling. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It would be nice if there was more pre-sale tickets, so it would it would be a bit more of a stable scene that way. Um, but yeah, I think the festival thing is great because 
especially again in New Zealand, there's so many cool spots like that shipwreck festival. What an amazing location for a party. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that, does it? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, um, <clears throat> I hear you, man. I, I, I recently thought about bringing an international artist over. Um, I was in talks with the, the guys who were bringing uh, Michael James over to Australia and I'd, um, I'd spoken to Michael, you know, a couple of times via Instagram and he tutored me in the past on music production. Really wanted to bring him here. He was super keen on coming. Um, but just the way the scene is at the moment and having a look at some previous events that have happened in, in, a, in the similar genre, the ticket numbers have been not hardly, you know, they've hardly sold at all and the promoters have lost loads of money on the event. So I just couldn't justify it. There you go. So, um, but you guys, um, you guys with the festival, how far in advance do you sort of like start promoting that? Or what did you do last year? Well, it's already in the works now, you know. Okay. We're, we're probably working a year out. You know, it's probably taking the best part of 12 months to put something like that together. But Ink, Ink Bars, but maybe one of the the exceptions here, isn't it? Because that is a weekly place and it's, from what I understand, it's pretty busy most weeks. And it's been an institution way before we were going out. So, you know, it does still exist, but I think, yeah, maybe Ink Bar back in the day anyway wasn't international DJs. It was just local, the local scene where that's a lot less risk. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, man. I know what you're saying about booking Michael James. You know, not everybody knows who he is either. So it's not as if you're booking Fisher, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> man, I don't think I'd ever do that. Anyway. But it's not like I'm booking Josh Josh Butler, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, um, there's a lot of moving parts, and obviously, drum and bass is is the staple in New Zealand at the moment. Anyway, hopefully, we can sway that a little bit more our way at some point. <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> we're trying but yeah i mean even the drum and bass events i, d- I don't think they're, they're really club nights are they a lot of it is festivals or big arenas yeah i mean th- there is a few there is a few sort of drum and bass club nights but i don't think they're as consistent as what we would consider consistency you yeah. know weekly um there might be every couple of months or something but I think you're right, but what what I do think, though, which you, you've obviously realised yourself, is that we've got so many so many individual promoters and brands in New Zealand now that are pushing our kind of sound, and I do think it is growing slowly but surely. Really, I just think that there's it's always going to be a difficult challenge because there's only five million people here, and it you know the electronic music scene is a small niche in its own right, so it's always going to be a bit of a challenge. outside of it. Is even smaller. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just got to keep pushing it. Eh? You know, it, it's it's all about what we love at the end of the day, and uh, hmm. if if it feels right to to promote these type of things and to still be involved with that scene, then you've got to do it for your own love. You know, even if we're even if there's only fifty people dancing in a room, I'm happy with that. I'm doing it for. Yeah. I'm doing it because I enjoy it as well. Hundred percent, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, what are the future plans with the festival? I did ask G. I asked G briefly about it. He didn't give me much insight there. Yeah, well, to be honest, we're sort of just taking it as it comes. You know, we haven't got a grand plan really. 
again, we're just sort of going with our gut. And, um, you know, GE has obviously built an amazing community around Electric Rush already. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, we're just going to continue to to try and expand. And I obviously I've met a lot of people in, in the dance music scene over the years. So using my connections to to bring people over to New Zealand and especially with the conference as well. Um, just that whole weekend, really, we just want to try and grow that and yeah, no, no real grand plan as such, but just do what feels right. And, um, if it works great, you know, we'll reassess at the end of this year and then, you know, if, if it went well, then we'll plan again next year. Nice. Simple as that. (laughs) You've got a nice point of difference with the conference. though. no one else is doing that here. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Well, you know, Obviously, G's from Barcelona, I'm from the UK, and um, there's a lot of that over in Europe. You know, you have ADE in Amsterdam, you have Sonar in Barcelona, even Miami has got the music conference. Um, I think there is one in Australia, there's a music conference, but it's not as big as the other the other two. So, you know, we just wanted to bring something like that over to the Southern Hemisphere because it's they've been such an important part of not only me growing as an artist and meeting connections, but G as a music fan and promoter, he goes to Sonar a lot and uh, they're just really valuable events. You know, it's a, it's a place where the whole industry can get together and meet each other face to face rather than just like email or text, whatever, you know, it's where a lot of the, the ideas happen, you know, people have meetings and, yeah, different things grow from events like that. Yeah, man. So you said you might be moving back over here permanently. Is that a thing? I think the, the plan would, yeah, eventually is to settle back in New Zealand. How would that affect things for your bookings and stuff like that, though? Well, to be honest, mate, I don't want to be touring forever anyway. I've done it for 15 mm. years or so now. I've been so lucky to see the world, travelled the world five or more times <laughs> I've lapped around <laughs> the planet five or so more times now playing, playing records, you know, it's been amazing, but there's, there's more to life than just doing that, for, you know, over and over and over again. I have different goals and different aspirations as well. So yeah, I've got a couple more, a couple more years left of, of uh, doing it yet, but you know, even doing it in New Zealand, I was still playing New Zealand and travel to Australia and to Asia and stuff, maybe even to America. I don't know, man. Like I said, there's no grand plan. There's never been a grand plan for any of this. Just winging it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way to but do I, it. <laughs> but I do know I would love to be back in New Zealand and, um, you know, I love that place. Love the people there. I've got some great friends there still. Some of my old school friends I'm still very, very close with, so... Yeah, mate, I just like, you know, I spend five months a year there at the moment, if I can. Um, I'd like to extend that to 12 months at some point. (laughs) (laughs) New Zealand will love to have you here, I'm sure. Oh, nice one. (laughs) You'll have to play for a high frequency night at some point, maybe. Well, Well, why not? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, man. (laughs) So um, will you still continue with the label? Last year over here? Yeah. As long as people are interested, then yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got some amazing artists on board now, um, both established and up and coming artists. 
you know, we've been uh, we're in a great position now that we're actually helping people to break through and build their own careers. You know, people like Ben Sterling. Oh yeah, he's killing it now. But he had his first release on Origins, and now he's playing with like Marco Carolla and Jamie Jones. Um, you know, so that's that. That's what I would keep doing. I think I would move more into the label side, maybe mentoring and management. That's realistically where I think my career would go, rather than me be doing all the traveling, because traveling's tough, man. You know, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to North and South America for three weeks next week. It's going to be exhausting. Even going to Madrid this weekend. I told you just before we started recording, I did like just under 24 hours in Madrid, you know, played at Fabric through the night and then left the hotel at 10 a.m., landed back in the UK at 2 p.m. It's tiring, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to Kerry Wallace from Sash. He was on the podcast last month and he was saying this exact thing. He was just saying, you know, I talked to a lot of these bigger artists and, you know, they're all, they all speak about how, tiring the lifestyle can be but of course when we see you guys on instagram and stuff like this you know we only see you when you're at your best <laughs> i took i took some pictures on my last u.s tour of like you know three weeks deep into a tour late nights early flights and i'd look fucked mate i look so, <laughs> I look so unwell <laughs> and I, I took a few pictures and i was like do i start posting these on instagram to show, you know, the the reality of like, you've not had any sleep, maybe you've just had a half an hour nap and now your alarm's gone off to get up and go back to a club, you know. It's so, it's so much fun, but you are running on adrenaline a lot of the time and there's only so long that can, that can stay at a level, you know. So, um, yeah, realistically, I think I would move into management and, you know, help younger people to do what I've done. Yeah, because they've still got the, the stamina to, to do that, you know, to, to not sleep for a fucking week yeah. <laughs> and DJ all night. <laughs> well, I mean, with your connections, that could work out really, really well for the people that you want to promote. But I think that's a really important message. And I said this on the last podcast, you know, I think it's an important message for the younger lads or, 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 or girls who are getting into this at the moment who – don't truly realize what they're in for if they want to be doing this whole tour thing. Um, I think a lot of the artists have kind of thrown into it without fully realizing what they're signing up for. And it, it can be pretty exhausting and, you know, it can't be good for your health doing that for years and years and years without any breaks. Yeah. Well, health and wellbeing was never really a subject when, you know, even when I was doing it, but before that through the nineties, you know, people like Sasha and Digweed, their touring schedules were insane. Yeah, um, but you know, health and well-being now—it's uh, it's a lot more prevalent in just the general conversation of, of society, isn't it? People are a lot more health conscious, mm-hmm. so you know that's a great thing. Um, and people tour smarter these days. You know, I know I do anyway. Where I can, I'm a, a lot more educated about my health. Um, People like Patrick Topping come to mind. You know, he does big stints where he's sober. Um, he works out a lot. Same with Sam Devine. People are definitely a lot more conscious of it now. But you have to be, if you want to do it into your mid-30s, 40s, you know, if you, if you don't look after yourself, you're digging yourself an early grave, to be honest. 
it yeah. sounds a bit dramatic, but it's, you know, there's, there's truth in that. Unfortunately, I know people who've passed away over the past few years because they weren't looking after themselves. Mm. It's a big thing is the sleep thing though, man. Like it, <clears throat> I think over the recent years, I've really started to understand and hear about how important sleep is. And we all get told this when we're younger, but no one gives a shit. You know, when you're 22 and you, you're at, you're in Sankey's every single weekend, I don't care. Like, I just thought, yeah, oh, yeah. Just... You feel invincible at that age, don't you? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was, I was up to all sorts of mischief at 22. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't we all, mate? Weren't we all? Did you actually, th- talking to Sankey's, I know I'm going off topic, but did you ever play at Sankey's back in the day? I never saw you there. Yeah, mate. Yeah. yeah, I had a residency. I had a residency at Sankey's Ibiza, but it all started at Sankey's Manchester. I was playing semi-regularly there. Right. God, I used to love that place. One of the best nights I had there was me and Bantam back-to-back and then Green Velvet afterwards. Oh, wow. What year that was, was that? Awesome night. I couldn't tell you when that was. It was all those years were a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. When Sankey's got that remake and they switched the DJ booth from one end of the room to the other end. Yeah, and they, they actually that- did that a couple of times, I believe. Oh yeah, okay. They did that a few times over the years and mixed it up. But do you know what? Actually, Spectrum was my favorite room upstairs. Yeah, yeah, that was my first gig in Sankey's. Played Spectrum. Was it? And then I eventually got to the main room, but. I always think Spectrum was a better vibe, actually. Pretty trippy in there, wasn't it? Yeah, with the roof. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, honestly, that that place that that place is what kind of that place and missions what got me into electronic music in the first place because the vibe in that main room of Sankey's, I've never witnessed anything like that. You know, even sometimes in Fabric in London, I've never witnessed the vibe that Sankey's had. It was just it, it was just that everyone was so educated about what they were going there for, right? And everyone on that dance floor knew exactly what they were they were signing up for for the night they were there for the artists who were playing and they saw it right through till five in the morning it was magical it's great i actually think sankey's was way better than fabric in in my opinion yeah yeah had some good times in fabric but i think the there's a lot of like techno tourists at fabric where they're going because it's fabric they don't really know the music well, they're not necessarily even interested in the music that much. It might be the first ever club night, but Fabric's such a, such a massive name. People just go. Um, yeah, I do feel it like it attracts some of the wrong people at times. You know, it can be can, can be a bit sleazy in there. Actually, I mm. in my experience, yeah, I've seen you know I've seen some some sleazy stuff. Where in Sankey's, it was just all about music. You know what I mean? There was never any of that. It's just people were just fucking having it to, to techno. <laughs> Good times, man. Um, do have a couple of other questions. Just regarding, I'm actually wanting to go back to your production, um, production methods. And the reason being is because I know that a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are quite young producers and are really getting into production at the moment. You know, we've got quite a surprising amount of people in this country getting into production and Australia Amazing. as well, which is great to see. Um but one one question that I don't think I've asked anyone on the podcast, and I can't imagine a better question to ask someone, um, to ask you, to be honest, because you've been doing it for so long. Have you, throughout your career, ever come across creative creative slumps, in a sense? I guess where you've oh, not right. been able to All produce music. Oh, do you? Okay. How do you manage them? 
usually just take time away, to be honest. Try not to stress about it. I'm saying this on, you know, now, um, 15, 20 years into producing, because I have stressed about it in the past, you know, I've tried to battle through it and just like, you know, even if you've got no ideas, I've tried to sit at the bloody computer and it's not really worth it though. You know, you don't, unless you're maybe, unless you're brand new at it and you're still learning the software and you're learning how to produce, maybe there's some benefit in still pushing through because you might have some like happy accidents, you know, or you might figure something out. But once you know how to make music, you know, at the stage I'm at, I just take time away. You know, I'm not going to forget how to make music. I know that the creativity will come back and I'll get some ideas. You just need some inspiration. So just go for a walk or something or, you know, even take a week out, just like do all the stuff. That's the best advice. Yeah. Try not to think about music or, or well try to think about music production but go and listen to lots of other types of music and yeah get outside go for walks see your friends maybe go to clubs and um just soak it all up man and then i, I have no doubt that it will come back yeah yeah it's it's actually um i know i know that people will be asking that question at some point in their music uh, production journey. I, I de- I'm definitely asking that question right now. I've, I've only been producing two years. I should have started this ages ago, man. I should have started this years and years ago. I always had the intent on doing it. Um, and I've just signed a couple of EPs, which I'm really, really pleased about. But now I'm kind of like, oh shit, I've just signed these EPs, but I've got nothing to follow them up with. You know, I've got no, I've got, I've got music, but nothing that's worth releasing. And I'm kind of in this creative slump. And you sort of think to yourself, shit, how long is this going to last? Like, because I've not experienced this before. So it's, it's whilst it's not good to hear, it's it's also quite good to hear that you've experienced that in the past and it, it does it does come full circle. So I'm sure the people will be pleased to hear that. Oh, it's very natural too. Yeah, I don't think you could, I don't think you can stay creative forever. It, there's always going to be peaks and troughs to it. It's just how you manage them, you know. I think listening to music or going, maybe even just going to a charity shop and buying some old records, you know, and listening to them and finding some samples. And then that might spark some, some inspiration. So what's, um, lots of different ways. What's your, no, that's all right. <laughs> what's your, uh, current favorite piece of studio kit? Um, SP 2400. That's a that's a new that's a new one. Did that came out come out last year or something? Yeah, a couple of years ago now. Yeah, okay, yeah so it's, yeah. Uh, I actually bought it from a guy in Queenstown. Oh, really? Yeah. Um. I so I used to have the SP twelve hundred back in the day, hmm. which is obviously like a seminal piece of gear. A lot of uh, the hip hop records from the nineties were made on that. All the Todd Terry records were made on that. So it's got a sound, you know. Yeah. But it was such a pain to program. Um, it took floppy disks, you know, so even sourcing the floppy disk was a, was a nightmare. It only liked certain brands of floppy disks as well. You couldn't just buy any old, any old disk and put it in because it would have a fit. <laughs> so even sourcing the disks was a pain. And then when you did get it, you have 12 seconds of sample time. 
which can be a good thing, actually, I have to say. Limitations is also a great way to spark creativity. Hmm. Um, but it would literally take me all day to program a, a four-bar loop. Yeah. So I ended up getting rid of that, kind of uh, reluctantly getting rid of it, but it was just sat there gathering dust. And then this company, I think it's called Isla. Or, uh, yeah, Alla Instruments or something, right? Alla, something like that. Yeah, they released oh, yes. uh, an updated version that takes SD cards and USB. So you've got a lot more space for sample time. Well, I actually have a lot, most of my sample library just on a SD card for it. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's by far my favorite bit of kit now. I actually don't have it with me. It's somewhere in between here in Hong Kong at the moment on a ship. Oh, no way. <laughs> we shipped it back from New Zealand. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to getting that back. Have you experimented with any of the Electron stuff? Electron? Yeah, like the Digitax oh, and the Syntax and stuff like that. Do they do that analog warmth thing? Yes, that's one of their effects units, yeah. Yeah, I don't own any of it, but I've played with one of them, yeah. It's really, it's, I've, my first proper piece of kit was a Digitax that I bought recently and I've found it, I found it just so much better for my creative process as opposed to just literally just being inside the box all the time. I don't think I can ever go back to just being in the box. Exactly, mate. Yeah, I think it's the same with mine. Um, yeah, so that Electron, they do a really good drum machine as well, don't they? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's actually, it's supposed to be a drum machine, but it's actually a sampler. Right. Sample drum machine. But yeah, it's yeah I've seen cool. videos and stuff of, of their gear. Anything like that to get you out of the box is a great way for you to, to get back into creativity. You know, it's sitting at a computer all day. It's the difference between making music and programming music, I think. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in Ableton, it can become like just programming a piece of software. Mm. And I think it having something like actual hardware helps you to understand synthesis not that you need to these days but i think it really helps when you understand it because you actually understand how to manipulate sounds and create sounds way better as well yeah yeah I'm, I'm... what does your creative process look like at the moment josh there's different ways i have different workflows to be honest depending on what mood i'm in one of them would be all in the box ableton or software another one is hardware or combinations of pieces of hardware and software. Um, it, re it really depends, and I try and mix it up so I can stay excited about it, actually. If I'm just using one workflow all the time, I get a bit bored. So, yeah, sometimes I just pick a piece of gear and just like, okay, I'm only using this today. Maybe like the TR8 or um, what's the um, Korg, Korg Electribe. I love that thing. They're rare now, man. I've been looking for one of those for ages. Can't find them here. Really? Yeah. There's a few on eBay. Might not be cheap anymore, but the the ones with the tubes in the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wicked bit of gear. Managed to source a, a, a someone had someone sampled all the sounds from one of those uh, from one of those pieces of hardware, and I've got I've got the samples, but not the same now. No, it's not the same. It's not the You're same right. because the, the effects on it, mm. the effects unit is the main thing really. And you can just mangle, you can obviously program drum loops, but then you can just mangle it up with all these effects. That's why I love that bit of kit anyway, because you just get unexpected results. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of takes the guesswork out of it as well. And the thinking out of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, you just grab a knob and just fucking twist it and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wicked. Um, so you've got a massive tour coming up. So you're playing South America. Where are, is it just South America tour? It's, it's actually just Ecuador. So I'm doing two cities in Ecuador, um, Quito and then Montanita for the Lost Beach. Lost, Lost Beach looks amazing. That club looks crazy. Oh, it is, man. Yeah. Well, it's like literally one of the best clubs in the world, according to DJ Mag. I think it's the top 25th club or something. It's amazing, mate. It's like most of it's made from bamboo. It's right on the beach in the middle of fucking nowhere in Ecuador. You know, and it's it's like paradise, mate. It's so good, you know. But it's got an amazing function on sound system. Like the guy really cares about his sound. So, yeah, anyway, doing that and then... Um, I actually fly to Montreal after that and playing at the Grand Prix, which is a bit of a random one. Oh, one of the one of the parties for the Grand Prix with Duke Dumont. And then from Canada down to North America and um yeah, playing loads of different cities in in America. And you've got a pretty busy summer lined up by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. Trips a couple of trips to Ibiza as well, playing at Elro at Amnesia. Um, oh god, there's loads of shit, man. Flying to Poland for a couple of gigs and Croatia. It's going to be a good summer, mate. It's actually a nice balance, though, you know, because I'm not gigging every single weekend or not gigging three times a week like I used to. Still got some good time at home just to be in the studio and be around my friends and family. That's cool. Nice. It's a good balance. Yeah, and then I mean that takes me through to November, really, and that's when I'll be heading back to New Zealand. So you're coming back over here for a holiday at the end of the year? Well, yeah, working holiday. You know, do best of all some shows. Yeah, so I'll be I'll be there from probably end of November to February. Cool. Okay. Well, um hopefully try and meet up with you then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That sounds pretty good. Um <clears throat> so just to round off the podcast then, because I know there's been so much that I've wanted to ask you, and uh, but I also didn't want to just be the guy that asks a ton of questions, and I did want to have an actual conversation with you, which has been nice. But I do want to ask a couple of questions based on the listeners. So as I said before, I know that there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are relatively new or, or young to, let's say, DJing or production. Um if you had one bit of advice that you could give to the newer producer, let's say, what do you reckon that would be after all your years of experience in this industry? Just um, try and if you if you're really into music production, try and create your own sound. You know, don't copy people because there's so many carbon copies of shit these days. I'm not interested in that anyway. You know, don't want to hear the same tracks again and again. I already do. I get sent so much stuff and it's already just the same as the last. Try and do something new. You know what I mean? Mix your influences outside of dance music into your dance tunes. You know, if you're into jazz, sample jazz records. Or, you know, if you're into classical, try and incorporate that into it. I don't know what it is. For me, it was always like trance and reggae. (laughs) How do I fuse reggae and trance together? And it turned out to be like a dubby kind of house music, you know, but that's the best advice. Do you put your own personality into your music? That's what it's about at the end of the day. Nobody wants a carbon copy of the last track. hundred percent, man. I think people, people including myself, you know, we've, 
stressed, not not stressed out, but thought about having our own sound and really trying to find that sound, but not knowing how to achieve that. So it's nice to hear you say, you know, bring your other influences in from other types of music that you like into your music. It's just practice. Yeah. You find out the parameters of what you like and where you want to meet in the middle. And then it's just about putting it into practice. You know, the first hundred tracks that you make might be crap because <laughs> mine were. And then there's one that goes like, all right, that's it. That's where the sound needs to be. And what about for the newer DJ? Do you have any suggestions or, or advice that you can give to them? Learn to play on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. yeah, could agree more. I think I think the, the technology does too much for us these days, right? Yeah, the, the barrier, to, barrier to entry is very low these days. So if you really care about what you're doing, try and uh, stand out from the crowd, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, that's awesome, Josh. Um, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy man. Yeah, yeah. good to chat to you. I will put all the links to your social media, not that I'm sure everyone isn't following you, but all your social media, your SoundCloud, Origins, I'll put that all in the uh, show notes of the podcast. And I'll also do that on Instagram as well, just so you can go and follow Josh. Um, yeah, it might um, be worth mentioning I've got a Patreon as well now. Oh yeah, okay. Tell us a bit about it. There's a nice little community growing on there. So we do like track feedback and um, I give away samples. You know, you were saying you've got a, a sample pack of the Korg Electribe. Mm-hmm. So I'll do packs where I've recorded my gear through you know, nice valve compressors and stuff. So I'll give away them sometimes or little bonus tracks, just little bits and bobs. So yeah, if you're interested in that, go and have a look. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be people interested. Um, that sounds awesome. So yeah, flick us the link to that, Josh, and I'll I'll make sure that I share that with everyone and uh, and, and promote that a little bit for you. Um, but yeah, I think you'll have to, uh, I'll have to sort of find out if you've if, are you, have you got any gigs in Eng, uh, in not in England in New Zealand booked for the end of the year yet or yeah I can't say what it is oh, you yet, can't but... say <laughs> okay okay well I won't I won't I won't ask you <laughs> good ones I should say okay but interesting yeah, I'll tell you anything more sorry <laughs> okay well anyone that's listening have a look out for Josh's sneaky gigs and uh, also the Electric Rush Festival as well which is actually yeah. called this, this kind of day. day yeah so that one is the one I can announce obviously because I'm part of that so that's on uh, the 9th of December I believe 9th of December okay so it's a bit earlier this year is it yeah it's it a was... bit earlier this year okay cool yeah so 9th of December everyone get your tickets don't miss out it's gonna be awesome Nice one. When does the lineup get uh, really revealed for that, Josh? We're going to start dropping the lineup in the next few weeks. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Sounds good. That's, that's the one. Awesome, man. Okay. Um, thanks very much, Josh. And uh, yeah, I will um, hopefully chat to you again soon. Thank you everyone for listening today. I really appreciate your support. If you haven't already rated the podcast, please do go over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast and give it a good, honest rating. The more ratings that we have on there, the more exposure that this podcast gets to the world. And as a result, the New Zealand-based or Australian-based artists and everyone involved in the scene here on this side of the world gets more exposure.
I really enjoyed this chat with Josh today. As you can tell from the podcast, he's just such a down-to-earth, genuine, kind dude that just has a a real passion for house music and, and genuinely wants to grow the scene here in New Zealand, which I think we can all... We can all chip into that and feed into that and, and and obviously work as a collective to try and grow everything here in New Zealand. But it's great to hear that he's going to be back over here permanently in the future. And I'll definitely be looking forward to seeing that come to fruition. Thanks again, everyone. Really appreciate your support and look out for next month's episode on the 20th of every single month.